Welcome back to Half the Battle. I'm your host, as always, Daniel Levy, and joining me now is one of the most exciting fighters on the UFC roster. I'm talking about UFC featherweight Billy Quarantillo. Billy, welcome to Half the Battle. Hey, brother. Thanks for having me, man. Oh, man, the pleasure's all mine. So I know you're wondering, what's a guy from Atlanta doing wearing something that resembles a Buffalo Bills shirt? But actually, this is a hardcore band from Buffalo called Every Time I Die. You ever heard of them before? I was wondering about that. I saw the Bills helmet. I was uh, I, I was trying to figure it out what it was. I have not heard of them, uh, but I'm sure they're, they're, they're good if they're from Buffalo. Dude, they're actually legends from Buffalo. So they were like around for like 15 to 20 years. They literally broke up two weeks ago. So now like they're oh, even wow. more legends. But yeah, infamous uh, Buffalo band. It's funny because I'm a hardcore Atlanta sports fan. It's all Falcons for me. So, you know, I ain't about to rep the Bills. But every time I die, it's cool with me. So you got to check them out. But, dude, okay. I got to know something, man. So the name Quarantillo, you're the only person I've ever met with the last name Quarantillo in my life. Um, I mean, what's, what's the origin? What's the ethnicity? Where's your family from? Um, yeah. So interesting. So, um, most of my family lives in uh, Western New York. Uh, and the last name, it was uh, obviously like my grandfather's was his father's was his father's. Um, it's an Italian last name. Um, uh, some, some of them spell it a little differently with an E, uh, because like when they're coming over to Ellis Island, uh, that, you know, they didn't all, they didn't pronounce it the right way. Um, but yeah, Corntello, you say it great. And uh, yeah, it's, a, it's an Italian last name. And actually in Western New York, like where I grew up, there's a ton of Corntellos. There was, uh, like my grandparents or my grandfather's parents had like a bunch of kids. So there's like a bunch of them all over Western New York. Um, so if you're around that area, you might hear it more often. Uh, but yeah, it's not very, uh, not very popular, uh, or an easy last name to say. You ever been to Italy before? I have not. I'm actually, I, I'm probably at this point, I'm probably my only family member that has never been. Uh, we were planning a trip to go there uh, for our honeymoon last year, but unfortunately because of uh, what, you know, because of COVID and all that stuff, uh, we didn't get a chance to go. So I definitely uh, look forward to going there in the future, but no, I've never been yet. Where, where in Italy, like is the bucket list? Like where's the family from? So where my grandfather, uh, you know, like basically where, where my grandfather's parents grew up was like Naples, Italy, which is like kind of like the middle. Um, I don't know if it's the most like touristy, beautiful uh, part of Italy. It was probably why they all came over to America. Uh, but I would definitely go, like to go see Rome, like to see, you know, a bunch of like the, the coasts and, and all that stuff over there. So are you first generation American? Like are, were your parents born in Italy or, or they were born already in the States? No, my parents were born in the States. My grand, my grandmother was born in Spain and then came over. But my grandfather was born here. His parents were, were born in Italy. So I guess I'd be like second generation. Okay, so you got some Spaniard blood in you, too, because we're going to talk about the way you fight, your fighting style. I'm curious about the origins because every fighter is different, man. Everybody brings something different to the table. You bring some of that dog and that savage. So I want to get to the bottom of it and find out why Billy Q is the way Billy Q is. So that's go. pretty cool. So we're going to get into that. But out of curiosity, what kind of music does Billy Q like? What would I find on your Spotify playlist? Oh man, I there's I, I love Spotify, man. I think uh, it's it's just so cool that you know you could listen to any any song you want to listen to all day, every day. I'm I'm pretty much listening to music all the time. I'm at the gym all the time. Uh, lately, uh, my new Spotify playlist. I got to give a shout out to Matt Frivola. He put me onto it. Um, if you've ever heard of it, it's called uh, Two Friends Big Booty Mix, and <laughs> there's like 15 of them, and they're all like an hour long, and they're just like basically. It's basically like house music, and then it mixes in like some rap music, some like pop music, some like country music, some like memes and like like little like funny things that are just like you know like viral things that like like noises pretty much. Um, so those my big booty mixes have been really good, mostly rap music. I listen to like a lot of a lot of rap music, uh, depending on like what the mood is. If we're working out, it's usually gonna be like some kind of like house or rap music. But I'll, I, I, I'll listen to everything. I'll give everything a chance. I listen to, like, country music. I listen to, like, rock music, whatever. So as far as your fighting style is concerned, you have a reputation for just being an absolute dog. I mean, if someone starts to gas out on Billy Q, you will absolutely turn up on them. When did you first realize you were that kind of dog and that kind of savage? 
Um, yeah, it's it's kind of just how uh, things played out. I, I I guess I noticed it as an amateur fighter. You know, I got into fighting. I didn't really have much of a background. I didn't. <clears throat> I wasn't like a you know a kickboxing star or a wrestler growing up. Uh, so when I started fighting, I just did what you know I thought the best way to fighting was. And that'd be, that's basically just going forward the whole time, trying to take your opponent out the whole time and having enough of a gas tank where, you know, even if you're at your worst, you're still doing really well. So I think a lot of that just came from my, my first few amateur fights where I didn't really know what I was doing, but as long as I went out there and I pushed the pace and I, and I kind of stayed out of trouble, usually I would end up winning just by gassing the person out. So I carry a lot of what I still do to the, to this day from, from what I started. Uh, but of course, I've added on, you know, a lot of weapons, even more cardio, a lot of muscle, a lot of size um, to go along with that, uh, that mentality. Yeah. I mean, I don't want when, when, when people hear me say that, yeah, he's a dog, he's a savage. I don't want that to take away from the fact that you're a Brazilian jujitsu black belt and an actual martial artist. So yeah. don't let that detract you uh, from the truth. But what I'm trying to wonder is, so was it kind of a realization in your amateur career or was it even before that like were there some playground fights where you started to realize like what billy q was all about or what yeah i probably yeah definitely before i would say probably but it's probably definitely uh before i did, had gotten to like amateur fights i think i always had like that mentality of you know i understand that if two people are fighting like i want to do anything i can do to win that fight um, I want to pressure the person. I want to get right in their face. Um, I definitely got in some fights where I like, I felt like I wanted to like kill the person. You know what I mean? Like we're fighting to the point where I'm like, I don't want to stop fighting until, you know, I take them out that had to be like broken up that were like, all right, dude, like that's enough. Uh, that kind of stuff. So I think it, it, it came from just, I don't know, however I grew up, I just, I've always had that attitude or like a chip on my shoulder where, you know, if, if, if I'm fighting with someone, I'm trying to fight until, you know, until I take them out completely. So um, I think I, I have a lot of that. And, uh, you know, in the UFC, everyone's got good cardio. So it's hard to break people like easily in the UFC, but I'm always trying to basically just take them to the, to the deepest waters and, and take them out there. So when you take them to deep waters and, and, you know, you try to see if they can swim, right? Like you've been going out here and you've been setting your personal bests for numbers every single fight. So you go out there on contender series against Kamuela Kirk and you attempted 200 strikes. Now, if you actually look at the UFC stats numbers, I think that some of the counters are off. So I don't actually go by what they say landed. I go by what they say the person attempted. So when they say you attempted 300 or 200 strikes, that means you threw 200 strikes versus Kirk. You go in there against Gavin Tucker, you throw 233, which is your next best. Next fight against Gabrielle, 259 strikes. Then you top it off against Shane Burgos with 383 strikes. So are you making a conscious effort to put up those kind of numbers every single time? No, not really. Honestly, I didn't even know all those stats. Um, I didn't know it was uh, that I, you know, I guess it makes sense with, with those fights. Uh, but definitely not. I actually, my, my brother, Austin, who's just a ball buster. He's always uh, like, yeah, he's like, it's cause you have pillow hands and that's why you got to throw so many strikes. So he's always, they're always busting my balls, but I got, I got a bunch of knockouts too. So it's all good. But to answer your question, I don't go into fights you know, trying to like break punching records and, and striking numbers. Um, but I do go out there and I want to keep that pace high uh, because most people can't fight that hard for that long. So I'm always trying to, uh, to put the pace on people uh, either way, but just to keep getting those records, it's pretty cool. And um, you know, I know usually I'm, I'm doing well if I'm throwing that many strikes we didn't get the nod on this last fight, but I think a lot of good came from it. And we're going to build a lot from that going forward. I mean, dude, like uh, something I wanted to talk to you about since you brought up the last fight is that not all wins and losses are created equally. For example, you can go out there and lay on someone for three straight rounds, bore the crowd to sleep, and no one's going to give a shit. And honestly, like just as a man, you know, as a jujitsu practitioner, that's actually my style. I love just neutralizing people. And if I were actually to be a pro fighter, I'd be the most boring fighter of all time. But since I am not a fighter, I enjoy watching guys like you that, I mean, that Shane Burgos fight, like, I have a feeling that after the fight, there wasn't part of you that was like, oh, man, I could have did more or, you know, you left it all out there. Like, isn't that all you can ask from yourself? Yeah, I mean, I was happy that, <clears throat> honestly, like, you know, I, 
just what you were saying, I'm a fan of the sport too. I'm a fan of watching other guys fight. Um, I was happy that because I've had other fights like uh, probably the Gavin Tucker fight and the and the Spike Carlisle fight with people just saying like mean shit to you and like being like oh man like that you know whatever you either you didn't win or or you got your ass whooped or whatever. So a lot of the messages were really positive, which which was awesome, and that's that's what you get into the sport for, right? You want to put on exciting, good good fights, uh, but just. I remember walking away like I needed like crutches right after the fight ended because my leg was so jacked up. I definitely remember thinking that strategically I didn't give him enough credit as a martial artist because I watched some of his other fights and he mostly just, you know, boxes and uses his hands. Um, But he made the proper adjustments that I didn't make. So just as a competitor and someone who basically lives in, in breeze MMA and, and to, to kind of realize what happened. It was, it was very frustrating that I didn't see that something like that coming. You know what I mean? Like him, him use those leg attacks so well, uh, him, ca- you know, kick basically throw more kicks in that fight that he's ever thrown. Um, so I was happy that I was able to, to, to finish the fight, to make it, make it exciting, make it an interesting fight. A lot of people said I won, which was amazing to hear, you know, I, you know, personally, I, I can see why I lost the decision, uh, but as a, um, you know, as a competitor, there was a lot more I could have done before the fight mentally and prepare myself better. And I think I could have really got the win if I, if I did everything right. I mean, do you take any solace from knowing that you put on an all-time UFC classic? I mean, had Gaethje and Chandler not been on that car, that's easily the fight of the night. Yeah, I do. I, I, uh, it'll definitely be. One that I'll look back, hopefully I'll look back, you know, I'm an old man in the memory memory book and, you know, watch it on ESPN and with the kids on ESPN Plus, hopefully. And uh, I'll always take pride in it. But then there's, of course, that little part of me, it's like, man, you could have done a little bit more and got the win or you, if you would have done this and would have done that. So I'm going to use that uh, chip on my shoulder to, to kind of go to this next fight, no matter who it's going to be. I, I don't have a name yet for you guys, but – I'm going to take a lot of what happened in that fight and go for it, especially just being around so many great fighters the whole fight week, um, you know, being around, you know, Holly Berry, Dana White, you know, uh, being so high up on that card, um, put being in Madison Square Garden. Um, it's going to be hard to top that in terms of like nerves. Like I remember just being around everyone, being around so many different, you know, former champions, uh, current champions. Uh, so I'm going to take a lot of that experience and bring it in the next fight. I think you're going to see the best Billy Q that, uh, we've gotten a chance to see so far. Yeah. I mean, that's, uh, that's pretty awesome to hear. And you said, dude, that you made some mental mistakes leading up to that fight. And I'm curious what you mean. Is it like a thing where, I mean, if we watch his fight right before y'all, the Edson Barboza fight, it was kind of a scary stoppage and there, there's a lot of talk and talk is noise. And a lot of people are saying, man, maybe Shane shouldn't fight again. That was scary to watch. Oh, Billy, all you got to do is just touch him once on the chin and he's going to go out. Was it those kind of things or was it something else? No, well, and, and I knew that I, I have enough experience to, to, to know, you know, whether you get a scary knockout or you're coming I, you know, I fought plenty of guys coming off of big knockouts where they, where they had vicious knockouts. So I never, I never played into that too much. I expected the best Shane Burgos that we've ever seen, especially since he was coming off two very close losses against, you know, top, top 10, top 15 guys. So I wasn't – I knew we were going to get a really good Shane Burroughs. I definitely didn't take him too lightly. But what I did do was um, I noticed in that and the Josh Emmett fight, he was he was a lot more punch-oriented. And with the with the uh, the last one, the Edson Barbosa fight, Barbosa did a really good job chopping his leg. But when he was throwing it, he wasn't really getting, getting much done with it. And so I figured he would go back to use more of his boxing. And I've never really been hurt with leg kicks before. Um, you know, like sparring, you, you shin pads in fights. Um, I've never gotten leg kicked, especially in the calf, like over and over that many times. So going in, going into that fight, like looking back, instead of being heavy on my boxing and not, not attacking the legs, not attacking the body as much. Um, and also when I was just, I just kept coming forward and instead of addressing the leg kick, I I would just eat it and keep coming forward with punches where, I should have been getting my legs out of the way. I should have been checking those kicks. I should have given them more respect because then by the time the, you know, halfway through the second round, my leg was so shot. I was like, no, I can't believe this. Like, and then I remember the the second going into the third round, 
uh, my coaches were like, oh, man, like switch to Southpaw, do this, do that. And I'm just thinking, I'm like, fuck, man. Like, it doesn't matter if I go to Southpaw or regular. I'm like, this leg's a dead leg. So I stayed in my righty stance. And I tried to throw some big shots to try to knock him out. And I tried to force a, you know, a wrestling scramble. Um, but he did a really good job of staying away from me. And he already did the damage. He already did his part. So it was on me to, you know, to, to come through at the end there. I mean, look, obviously the calf kick is much different than the traditional Muay Thai leg kick to the thigh. Like, I know Absolutely. Billy Q can eat 100 leg kicks to the thigh and keep walking forward. So with the calf kick, I mean, look, the first line of defense is don't fucking get hit with it. But when yeah. you go back to the gym, I know, right? It's, it's that simple, right? No, but when uh, you go back to the gym, is it a thing where, okay, now we're timing the straight right off the kick? Is it a thing where we're changing our positioning because the check isn't always there for the calf yeah. kick, but there was a fight between Jose Aldo and Pedro Munoz where he expertly showed how to deal with that calf kick. Yeah, that's, and, and I've seen that I've used that technique and in the later round, I was using that technique where, you know, he's kind of like kind of turning and picking it up a little bit. Uh, but I think it starts with just, you know, I like, I like pressuring guys, but I need to be more patient pressuring guys. I can't just, walking forward and, and eat whatever they throw at me and try to deliver more. Because if you get a guy like Shane Burgos, who you can't just knock out that easily, um, I need to be doing paying my dividends too. you know, chopping the leg, attacking the body, doing that more. So I think the biggest part of it for me, at least is just getting the way, getting out of the way of those kicks, man, especially if, you're, if, if they're throwing them naked, uh, either getting out of the way of them, checking them is the next best thing. And then timing it with those punches, uh, because I've seen it in a few fights too, where one guy will be chopping the leg over and over, but then he throws one of those kicks and, and and he just gets timed and he gets knocked out from it. So it's a dangerous game people are playing now, but it pays off because you land a couple of those calf kicks. And I'm not mad at him either because I, I was thinking I was going to chop his leg too, but I kind of abandoned that because I, I got a little uh, got a little antsy going headhunting, going, uh, trying to knock him out. You said you felt a lot of pressure uh, in that fight compared to most. I mean, look, it is Madison Square Garden. All the celebrities are there. Plus, I assume it was your first time back in a crowd in a while because these last few have been at the Apex and whatnot. So does that pressure, I mean, is it one of those things where the pressure builds diamonds? I mean, did it, because it didn't hold you back. I mean, you threw almost 400 strikes, so it's not like you were a gun shy or something. Yeah, um, I I enjoyed it. I enjoyed the pressure. I didn't I didn't think it, it got over me in any way. Like I, I definitely won't blame uh you know my lack lack of stadium experience on uh me losing. So there there was pressure going into the fight, but I think I did a really good job of kind of downplaying it. Like even getting ready to walk out, I'm like, this is just like the apex, you know, like just go walk out there and and, and actually because of that Gagey Chandler fight. Even though it was sold out and it was like really crazy, like a crazy crowd, I think a lot of them were honestly exhausted from after that fight. So it wasn't, it was kind of quiet when our fight started. But then, like by the end of the first round and into the second round, then it started picking back up again because people realized, you know, we were coming to bang and, and we were trying to take each other out. So, Compared to like the average human being, I mean, you're an exceptional athlete, but I feel like if you and like, say maybe like Sodiq Youssef st uh, stood next to each other and we wanted to see who had a higher vertical jump, he'd probably beat you in that, but you make, <laughs> you make up for it in yeah. other ways. So I want to know what's Billy Q's like cardio routine and your strength and conditioning. Like, because I hear a guy like Cheeto Vera who it's probably the same thing. I doubt he's got the best vertical jump and this and that, but I hear him talk about how this dude runs fucking three hours, runs 13 miles, does all kinds of crazy shit to know that he can swim in those deep waters. What does Billy Q do? Yeah, I would say uh, a good portion of mine. I would say there's a lot more. Um, I don't like to do like long distance runs. I don't really swim that much. Um, but what I do do is I'm always just in the gym and I'm always doing either jujitsu rounds where I'm rolling with everyone. I'm sparring, I'm hitting mitts, um, uh, basically just doing, doing all that kind of stuff, lift, lifting weights, doing conditioning. I'll do like high intensity workouts. I'll do lifting, but I think the, uh, a lot of like, especially like the cardio and that, and that pace, I think a lot of that comes from like, like boxing, like sparring rounds just doing those for like, you know, you know, a long time, a couple hours. And then uh, doing like the jujitsu rounds where I'm a big, uh, big believer in like, you know, get yourself as tired as possible and then keep, you know, don't basically don't take, don't take rounds off. And when you are really tired, go with good guys that, you know, can probably choke you out or, or at least beat you up. Uh, so, 
if I get used to that where, you know, let's say I do five rounds in a row and by rounds three, three, four, and five are pretty tough. And as long as I do them, maybe I get my ass whooped by everyone. Then the next time it gets a little easier, then a little easier, then a little easier. The next thing you know, you're winning those later rounds and, and you're doing well in those later ones. Um, then you can I can go with whoever I want, rounds five, six, seven, eight, whatever, because I'm used to basically I'm just used to getting my ass kicked. You know, I, I've put myself through the ringer. I find the, the best guys at my gym. Uh, and that was one of my goals this year. Get your ass whooped as much as you can, not in terms of like taking you know shots to the head, but in terms of go go up against the best guy and then if you're in there and you're gassed out and you're tired and you're still in there competing and, and getting your ass whooped, uh, the next time it's going to be even easier when you're at that point. So I'm a big believer in pushing yourself till, till you hit that wall and then break through that wall. And if you get beat up, you get beat up, basically just not having an ego at the gym. Um, and then after you're going to get better from it. So you told me um, at the beginning that kind of your mentality when you're in there is you kind of like imagine it like there's no ref there. Like you're fighting to the end, life or death. Now, is there like a switch that flips? Because like right now, I mean, you're talking, you're the nicest guy, but getting in there with you is a different story. But I mean, you still become that human in those 60 seconds between rounds when your corner is talking to you. Like, is there a switch or is it just that's Billy Q when he's competing? Yeah, it's I, it's a weird thing. It's definitely not something that I have. Um, it's it's not something that I can be like, oh, I flipped the switch. Now I'm ready to go. Um, but I think it's just that routine that I'm in now that it, I've probably always had it since I was a younger kid that whatever, whatever circumstance would make me flip that switch. Um, but the, I definitely feel a different mentality. Like when, when the fight's getting ready, like when, you know, we wrap our hands up and I'm still pretty calm and, then I, you know, I'm thinking about what's at stake and then we get the, the gloves on and then I'm stretching out and I'm still pretty calm. And then I start hitting mitts and, and I start warming up for the fight. And then I start kind of, my, my mentality kind of changes a little bit where it's, it's like, all right, it's, it's time to work now. It's, we're not messing around anymore. And then by the time I'm walking out, I'm man, I'm like you were saying, I'm ready to do whatever it takes to win this fight. And in my head, we're basically fighting to the death. I'm trying to kill you. You're trying to kill me. We both know the rules, so we're both obviously going to try to stay in the rule set. Uh, but I know for those 15 minutes, I got to do everything I can do to win this fight. The people love is it's it's such a crazy thing. People love the most violent stuff, so like that's what they're there to see. They're they're there to see you know a big vicious knockout. They're 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 there to see a big choke, or they're see, they're there to see someone get beat up and, and throw 500 punches or, or whatever it takes to win. So uh, I'm at a point now where I'm getting paid pretty, pretty well to do what I do, especially since, you know, back in the day when I wasn't making anything. So I'm willing to do whatever it takes to win that fight. So I, it's, it's not like, uh, I can be like, Oh, the, the switch is flipped. But I, I just always had that feeling when I walk out there, I'm like, all right, this is, this is different now. It's, it, it's, you're really focused on this one thing that we, we took so many months to get ready for. And for all the fans watching, make sure you all submit your questions for Billy Q. We're going to get to that in a second here. But, I mean, so you say you're in a pretty good spot. I mean, do you feel appreciated, man, by the fans, by the UFC, for the kind of fighter, the kind of efforts you put forth? Um, Yeah, I mean, and, and, and fun, ironically, I've actually heard uh, Dana White talk about this before. Like, you know, who doesn't want to make more money at their job? Like, of course. Like, of course I want to make more. Um, I am on my third contract now. Uh, what was it? <laughs> Bless you. I'm my third contract now, so it's gotten uh, it's gotten a lot better. It's gotten a lot better uh, than what it was before. So I'm very happy with with what I've been making, and I'm happy with the contract I'm at now. Of course, I'd like to go out there and you know start this next guy they give me, and then uh, ask for more money. You know, that's the name of the game. I've had six fights with them now, uh, but with this contract I'm at, um. I enjoy the position I'm in and I'm excited to see, you know, who they offer me next and, and how this year plays out. Now, one of the qualities you have when you're in there is you're a very stubborn guy. I mean, if uh, someone gives Billy Q an inch, you'll take a mile. Now I got a question in your personal life. Like when you get into arguments, like, do you have to get that last word? Are you stubborn uh, there too? Or are you kind of just laid back and you're only that way when you fight? Uh, that's a good question. Uh, I don't really get in too many arguments. Uh, I try, I, I keep it pretty level-headed. I'm at the gym most of the day. Like I, I live like 15 minutes away from Gracie Tampa South where I train at. 
and then about 15 minutes from my strength and conditioning gym. Uh, I don't get in too many arguments if younger fighters that I'm trying to help out uh, give me like some attitude, then I'll be a little harder on them because I do a lot of I do I, I do a lot of stuff for the younger fighters that I'm just doing for free just because I'm trying to help them. So if if there's a guy who's slacking, usually I'll, I'll bust their balls a little bit, but um, I, I'm pretty laid back. It's 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 it really is a career for me at this point. So I don't know. I, I let most things slide unless it's like a really big deal. And then uh, yeah, and then when I'm fighting, I'm I'm definitely still trying to kill people. <laughs> so look, we've talked about your uh, aggression, and we've talked about your fighting style, your cardio, but. What I want to know, man, is what's the long-term goal here? Because for some guys, they actually take offense to being known as exciting fighters because they kind of feel like that takes away from, from them in some other way. Whereas other guys, they just want to keep stacking those 50K bonuses and, hey, just just pay me. I'm going to put on an exciting fight. Where does Billy Q see himself a year from today? Yeah. Uh, yeah, no, I definitely, I, I got into the sport to, to be an exciting fighter. I've seen some guys that have been in the UFC for a long time and they just don't have like any exciting fights, which is, it's gotta be tough. Cause I know everyone works hard to get here, but there's, there, there's more to just getting here and then to be exciting too. Uh, so one year from now, my, my goal is to go two and oh, three and oh, this year, um, probably fighting again in April or May. And I'm going to do, that's my number one goal this year, obviously. The only thing I'm planning on doing is training my ass off of that fight. So whoever they give me, I can promise you guys it's going to be a great fight. Um, but yeah, it's I'm still chasing the world championship. I'm 33 now. Um, I just came up short of getting in the top, you know, top 15. There's definitely some guys in that top 15 I know I can beat today. And then... Uh, in the next few months, I'm just going to keep getting better and better and, and take another sh shot downfield. I don't know who they're going to offer me next, but I'm definitely looking like that top 15, top 20 range. And I'm just going to keep building off this momentum and uh, see what's next. So a lot of people actually don't remember this, but you were on the Ultimate Fighter, uh, same season that McGregor actually was the coach. And back then that's what mcgregor was mcgregor man i mean so i gotta know from you firsthand like what was that dude's aura like back then because that's uh, he was a fucking superstar he was invincible no one could touch this guy back then what was it like being around yeah. that version of him yeah it was cool especially it's been really cool to see how you know how far he's taken it um you know obviously as of late he's, he does some crazy stuff but back then so it was right after he beat chad mendez and it was before he beat, before he knocked out Jose Aldo, before the champ champ, before Mayweather, before all that. So I definitely remember all of us thinking there, we're like, oh man, like, you know, he beat Chad Mendez on short notice, but he hasn't beaten Jose Aldo yet. And, and you know, that's a hard task. And Jose Aldo didn't, hasn't lost for years coming into that fight. So a lot of it was, especially from my point, was I was very skeptical of, where he was actually going to take it. You know, we obviously knew he was really, really good. He, he beat up Chad Mendez and, and he looked good in his, all of his other fights. Um, but I, we knew he was a superstar, but we just didn't know how far he would take it. Um, and he was actually a lot, you know, he, he seemed pretty cool and like, you know, talk, you know, he talked to all of us. He talked to everyone on his team. He didn't seem like he was very stuck up. He was always wearing suits even back then, which was cool. Um, he didn't rub me the wrong way at all. Like he was cool with me. Everyone asked me, after like if he was really like an asshole in real life uh he was pretty cool with me he was he got in uh you know Faber and those guys he, he kind of got under their skin a little bit but it was all good it was all, all for the tv show we missed that version of mcgregor man that was the man right there but man what he's done for the sport we're grateful so look you were only six and one on the ultimate fighter it's funny you were just telling me about how like when you try to give these younger guys advice and sometimes they give you attitude dude you were fucking six and one when you're when you're on the ultimate fighter which is funny because it's like you see so many people come to the ufc five and oh five and one six and one and they have a couple fights they're in and out they wash out right away so Six and one. Then you go back to the regional scene. You come back to the UFC as a 12 and two pro fighter. Now that's some seasoning. That's some experience right there. So how invaluable was it for you to have that kind of experience? And what would you tell up and comers about not rushing it to get to the UFC? Yeah, that was, yeah, that was probably the best thing that ever happened to me was being a part of the ultimate fighter and, and kind of seeing where everyone was at seeing where all the guys from the, from, uh, you know, team alpha male, there was a bunch of guys there that were in the UFC, you know, chat, 
Uh, Chad Mendez was there. Uh, Cody Garbrandt, TJ Dillashaw, Uriah Faber, Andre Feely. You know, the list goes on. So uh, uh, Josh Emmett, Josh Emmett wasn't even, wasn't even in the UFC yet. So uh, to see all those guys and to be around all those guys and, and training with them, uh, that was just such a, a great experience to, to be around that and not getting signed. Uh, I thought I was going to get, you know, win one fight and get signed, but a lot of stuff happened in between there. You know, I ended up getting a broken hand. I tore my ACL in different fights. Um, one, you know, one, I ended up winning like six or seven fights in a row before the UFC. Uh, so that, it was the best thing that ever happened to me was having that experience, figuring out what I needed to work on, which was, you know, my wrestling, my strength and conditioning, get, getting my, you know, everything better, my striking and jujitsu better. Uh, but, but knowing that I could compete with those guys if I did the right stuff. And, and, and that's really what I did. It took a few years just to focus on getting better. And, uh, I've, I've really been just doing that ever since just working on getting better and, and keep trying to climb this, uh, ladder to the top. So obviously you're close with fellow UFC fighter, Matt Frivola. Do you think that there's a lot of camaraderie between you guys? Because you honestly have very similar styles. You guys love breaking your opponents, taking them to deep water, seeing if they can swim. I mean, is that part of the reason y'all get along so well? Yeah, well, it was actually, it was a, a super random kind of how it happened. Um, so Matt Frivola grew up in Long Island. I grew up in Lewiston, which is like Buffalo, New York. We randomly meet in we, – we didn't know each other. We randomly uh, joined Gracie Tampa South at the gyms that I'm still at now. Um, we basically started like the same week. So I'm in this new class, and I meet this guy, Matt Frivola. He didn't have any fighting experience. He, was, he had a little bit of wrestling, and he was just super wild. But we didn't really know anyone else there, so we, we kind of became friends that first week. And he, he was like one of the first guys that like – I hung out with and was like friends with in Tampa. So I, I left my whole family. He left his family. We became friends right away. Um, the first year, like we would all hang out together, like our fight team and everything. And then uh, when probably about eight months into living there, we moved in together. We were actually roommates because we were like such good, you know, we were like buddies. Uh, and then we would, we would always like drive each other. Like some days he would get the better of me. I would get the better of him. We'd go back and forth. But we always pushed each other, and we all just loved that lifestyle. We wanted to be in the UFC. We wanted to uh, basically get where we're at now. So over the years, we just did everything we could do to get here. We always supported each other. Even uh, two years ago, he moved back to New York, and we still hang out. And he comes up, to, he comes down here to train. And I go up there to train all the time. So uh, yeah, we'll be friends and boys forever, unless we're watching that Masvidal. Colby Covington, if they make a lot of money, man, maybe maybe me and Matt will get big enough and, and we'll make a bunch of money fighting one day. <laughs> hey, I, I like to hear stuff like that because you remember the whole John Fitch, Josh Koshek stuff from back in the day when they were number one and number two and they refused to fight. So that's pretty badass. Now, I got a question for you, man. Um, Someone that happened to be on the same episode of Contender Series as you, Jamal Hill. Now, dude... He's my favorite prospect um, at 205 by a long shot. And every time I talk about him on the show, I bring up the fact that obviously, you know, he's got the one hitter quitter for a guy his size. But you know how I like to talk about numbers, Billy. This guy's going out there putting up the kind of numbers that someone in your weight class does for a 205er. What do you think the future is for a kid like Jamal Hill? Oh, yeah, dude. I love I love Jamal Hill. Uh, he's always speaking his mind. I've gotten, a, I've gotten a chance to obviously see him then. And then we got a chance. I met up with him in Arizona when him and Frivola fought on the same card. So we got to chat with him. We, basically, their rooms are right next to us. So he's a super cool dude. Um, I like him and his whole team. They're all super nice guys. And, yeah, the the potential is endless on him. He's, you know, making these veterans look like, you know, they're the new fighters. So, yeah, that kid, uh, I think it's, the sky's the limit. I love his attitude. I like his boy. So shout out to Jamal Hill because – you know, he's a real one. He's always, always supported me just from day one, just because we were both on the same show together, which was cool. And then since then, we've kind of, uh, you know, been friendly, kind of gone back and forth, uh, you know, quite a bit. All right. So we're about to get to these fan questions. I got one more. I got to ask you a cliche question that everybody asked you and you've already alluded to it, but I got to know who the hell do you want next, man? Ideally, like if you had a pick, I mean, are we going to beat up on Charles Rosa, get to our next contract, then go to the top 15? Are we trying to fight a ranked guy uh, right now? Like what's the deal, man? No, they're not going to, they're not going to give me the Rosa fight. Uh, I, 
they he took the bait. He was like, "Oh, Billy Q wants to fight." I'm like, "Come on, Charles Rosa." Uh, but now I'm gonna I'm letting my manager figure this out. I'm letting uh, basically the UFC. I just told him uh, I was gonna be ready in April. Uh, I'm doing everything I can do to train. I'm I right now. I I love the chance where I'm not. I don't have a specific opponent, and I could literally just work on myself. I could. I'm working all my game. I'm I'm doing moves and techniques that I want to do in the future that I'm adding to it. So right now I'm really just having a good time uh, getting better and not really worrying about uh, like, you know, one specific fight. So I honestly, it is weird to think about. There was a couple names on my list that I had and a couple of, you know, I think most of them got matched up already. So right now I'm, I'm not stressing myself out. I I'm just excited to see uh, what they think is next for me, like what, or what they want me to do next. And uh, I just know I'm going to be prepared for it. And I know I'm going to, I'm going to do the, the wrongs. I'm going to right the wrongs that were done last fight in the, uh, in the MSG fight. Does, does Darren Elkins have a fight by chance? I don't know. That'd be a good, that'd be a good one. He's a veteran. He's a, um, you know, a guy I've watched for a very long time. He was in the top 15 for a long time. Um, yeah. I mean, that he, that could be a possibility. I know a lot of people want me to fight Julian Arosa. Uh, I'm not doing it. I'm not fighting Julian Rosa. Why do um, they want that? Because it's exciting or what? I think so. I think because he he just won his last fight. A lot of people think he's exciting. I think he's super exciting. He's one of my favorite fighters to watch. Um, but more importantly, we were both on the Ultimate Fighter together. We were actually roommates, and just watching what he's gone through to get from the Ultimate Fighter, getting cut by the UFC, getting getting you know winning more fights, getting signed again, getting cut again to getting signed again, you know, he's been signed three times now and to now be on, I think a four and one winning streak just got an extra hundred K this last fight. I'm so proud of that kid. And I'm, I don't want to fight that dude. Like he's, he's my buddy. We, we text each other every now and then um, him and his wife, super cool. I, I trained with them in Vegas. So I'm definitely not fighting Julian Arosa, but um, some of these other guys, it, it would make sense. I think for a million dollars though, y'all fight, y'all will fight each other. Yeah, for a million dollars, I'll fight. At this point, for a million dollars, I think I'll fight anyone in my weight class. <laughs> yeah. All right. So here are these fan questions, man. So Bilal's Beak says, that's a funny name, says, ask Billy his favorite UFC commentator. Hey, if that's going to get you in trouble, you don't have to answer. But if you do have a favorite, let us know. All right. So I grew up, obviously, on Joe Rogan. And uh, I know he's, he's taking some heat right now, but he's going to be <laughs> one of my – I don't even – put him in like the commentator discussion. Cause he's like just such a big figure for me. So Rogan's obviously like the goat doc, Dr. Joe Rogan. Um, but then of course, John Anik, we've been, uh, he's been, uh, I just think he's really good at his job. The first day I met him, the first time I met him was for my UFC debut in DC and everything that I've told him that day, like everything I told him that day, he remembers and still talks about it, like you know, like when he's commentating me. So that just show, goes to show you how good John Anik is at his job. Um, but honestly, I like all the guys. I would say Joe Rogan's the man, Anik's the man, uh, Paul Felder's the man. He's been real cool to me. Um, my aunt met Paul Felder. She loves Paul Felder. Cormier's done a few interviews with me. Uh, he's cool. Cruz in, in D.C. D.C.'s cool. Um, Cruz, I don't know that well, but he commentated my contender series. A lot of people like some pictures I take, some people say I look like Dominic Cruz, like certain ways I do my hair, I guess, uh, which is cool. He's a good looking dude. Um, and yeah, and Bisbing, they're, they're all cool, but I would say Rogan and, and Anik, I think are like the, the, the standard at this point. Hey, real quick off the top of your head. Do you remember what the capacity was for the MSG when you filed? Like how many people were in attendance? I think it was 20,000. Okay. So you're willing to fight. You're willing to get into a fist fight in a lock cage in front of 20,000 people at MSG, but are you willing to put on a suit, get in front of the bright lights, and talk on that mic behind the ESPN desk? Oh, yeah. Do you mean like do like broadcasting? Yeah, because, you know, it sounds easy. You don't have to get hit, but it's actually yeah. a different animal in itself. No, no, I know. Uh, um, I know it's tough. I know it's a tough job. I do some commentary for uh, – the uh, this uh, SFT, this Brazilian organization that I really enjoy. Uh, but yeah, I'm in the I'm in the position as long as it doesn't interfere with my training, I'll do anything for money that that I don't if I don't have to get punched in the face that's related to MMA. So if it's like commentary, if it's uh, you know interviewing fighters, if it's being like the Bruce Buffer, if it's coaching, I coach a ton of fighters. 
Uh, I love being in this MMA space. And especially if I can make money without getting hit, of course, man, sign me up. So our buddy, Ben Davis, the Bane, he says, ask Billy how he felt about Matt Favola's performance. Shut up, Ben. Just shut up. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. I, ben, Ben's my buddy, if you guys don't know. Um, yeah, it was uh, it was the best fight I've ever uh, cornered out of anyone. I've cornered about 100 fights now. Uh, just everything that was at stake, he had his, um, you know, it was, it was the last fight on his deal. So if he goes up there and loses that fight, uh, he's probably not signed with the UFC anymore. So the all the pressure was on him. He was against a kid who was 10-0 and with 10 finishes. And he went out there and just started throwing bombs and, and connected him and, and knocked him all around. So, uh, yeah, it was it was incredible. Matt's my boy. Shout out to Matt Frivola. Uh, thanks for the question, Ben. Really creative stuff you got. You know what's funny is that um, stats-wise, I mean, he just went out there and he put up like five or six knockdowns and just changed all the ratios of his numbers and just I'm happy for the guy. That was fucking right. awesome. Big, big stat fight. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So this dude, A.Y., says he just wanted to tell you that you're better looking than Ally Akinta. <laughs> now, let me ask you this. I Akinta, I think he's from Long Island. You're from Buffalo. Is there a Buffalo-Long Island rivalry by chance? Oh, no. Those are uh, – th the law guys are my guys. Uh, I've said several times Ally Akinta is one of my favorite fighters, especially, grow you know, coming up – not even growing up, just like, you know, before I got in the UFC – uh, I always love watching that guy and I've gone to law MMA about four or five times already with like Ray Longo, Ally Quinta, Aljamain Sterling. They got about 20 guys that have the potential to be in the UFC. So those guys are going to, those guys are going to have UFC guys for the next 10, 15 years. Um, and I'm, uh, th those are allies too. So we're, we're cool. Uh, Ally Quinta is the man, but I appreciate the compliment. So Josh A says, respectfully who's the easiest matchup for you in the top 15 respectfully oh, top 15 who's the easiest matchup man there's no easy matchups um but stylistically i do like a few of the fights uh i'm not gonna call anyone out yet but there are some fights that that we would take you know today you know we would take right now you know coming up short against burgos I like my chance against Burgos in, in, a, in a rematch. Uh, he's, he's a good dude, really nice guy. But, man, it sucks that fight got away. I can't stop thinking about it. But we'll be all right. We'll get the next one. And, and uh, you'll, you'll see who I match up with soon uh, in, in this next year for sure. I look forward to finding that out. So, JSJ23 says, are there any fighters Billy watched closely or molded some of his game around growing up? Uh, yeah, it changed. Like I was saying, I started off being a fan when I was in, in like early high school as the ultimate fighter. Uh, I was probably like 16. So my, the early guys I would watch were like Forrest Griffin and Diego Sanchez. Um, and then George St. Pierre, George St. Pierre was a big one where like just everything he did, I loved how he mixed it up. I loved how he, you know, was super respectful. I just loved how he was just a, a pure martial artist. Uh, and then, you know, as time went by, there was a lot of guys. Frankie Edgar was a big one that I watched all the time. Uh, more recently, like maybe like a few years ago, like Tony Ferguson and Dustin Poirier, watching their fights back to back to back. Max Holloway's a big one too. Uh, Jose Aldo, all those guys. That Uriah Faber, uh, the list goes on. So there's definitely a lot of guys. I try to I try to take their best their best qualities and uh, you know try to make myself the best fighter possible. So uh, some fan comments. Rex wants to see you in there with Duho Choi. I don't know if he fights anymore, but if he does, you know I'm down for that. Um, AY wants to see you in there with Cub Swanson. I'm down with that too. But here's a question: What's your Super Bowl prediction? Super Bowl prediction for Sunday? Yeah, I like I like both those matchups too. Uh, Super Bowl prediction, man. I was I was heartbroken. The Bills, uh, they ripped my heart out two weeks ago. Or, you know, three weeks ago now. Uh, so I was planning on going to the, the AFC championship game in Buffalo and maybe even the Super Bowl, depending how, uh, you know, how, how things went, but, uh, I gotta like, I, I think the only, the, the biggest storyline right now is probably Joe Burrow, uh, and just how, you know, he, he's just been able to dominate in college and, and now going, going pro and, and, and doing what they've done so far in the AFC, I think was a little bit tougher. Um, I don't know much about the Rams, honestly, because, I'm more of an AFC, like I watch more of the AFC games, um, but I know they got, uh, 
you know, Stafford, who's been around forever, and I know they got a home game. So I'm going to go – I'm going to root for the Bengals, I guess, even though it's AFC. But I, I think Joe Joe Burrow is cool, and uh, I feel for the fans at Cincinnati. If they win a championship, good for them. I'm happy for them. I'm going opposite way, only because Stafford, since he was with UGA, which is, you know, in Georgia. Now, I'm from Atlanta. UGA's in Athens, but – Still represents Georgia. So if the Falcons are out, let's go with a Georgia boy. Now, right, yes, sir. So Rex Lee said, and I actually didn't know about this. So I appreciate you uh, asking this question, Rex. He said, how bad was your eyesight before laser correction? And did you fight with contacts in or did you just go in blind? Oh, yeah, that's a good question. <laughs> so, um, yeah. So if you didn't know, I basically I had horrible vision. Uh throughout my whole career, like amateur fights, I would wear, I would wear my contacts pretty much every single fight. I, every single fight, in my amateur career, most of my pro career, um, I would wear contacts. So probably like 30 to 40% of the fights, at least one contact would get knocked out. And then like halfway through the fight, I would like, everything would be blurry. It would just be a mess. So <laughs> I don't know why I never got it fixed. And I knew that you couldn't, you're not supposed to get, uh, you're not supposed to get PRK. You're supposed to get, uh, or no, I'm sorry. You're not supposed to get LASIK. You're supposed to get PRK, which I ended up getting. But what happened was I was wearing the, my contacts for two fights um, in the UFC that they got knocked out back to back. And I was okay with it because I was winning fights. Then the Gavin Tucker fight, I get my contacts knocked out and he's pun- you know, he punched me a bunch of times too. So not only did I have my contact missing, but I was also, I got punched a bunch going into the third round. Basically I needed a, I, I needed a, a finish there and man, the whole cage was just like super blurry. And I'm thinking to myself, I'm like, what the hell? Like, why haven't I gotten this figured out yet before? So after that, I got the PRK and it was probably the best decision I've made for my career. Make sure if you're watching this and you're a fighter, uh, make sure you do your research, get the PRK, not the LASIK. The LASIK like cuts around your eye and then the PRK like files it down and it regrows better. So if you get the PRK, if you get the LASIK, I heard some commissions give you a problem. PRK, you're good to go everywhere. And it's a big game changer for me. Just knowing I'm going to go into a fight. I'm, I'm, I've gone into my last two fights now uh, knowing that my contacts can't get knocked out. And uh, it, it's a, a lot more confident going into these fights now. I'm glad you brought that up because my follow-up question was going to be like, dude, I swear New York uh, commission doesn't let people with LASIK yeah, compete. Yeah, I, re- I, I, re- I remember that too. So they, they don't let you. And, and that was, I think it was a little bit more back, you know, back when, when, when New York was just becoming a thing. Uh, but yeah, if you get PRK, you're good to go. But yeah, LASIK, a lot of commissions don't like it because if you get punched wrong, you could lose your eyesight. Yeah, uh, man, and it's hurt some fighters because a buddy of mine, uh, Lewis, put the guns down Taylor. He's actually Bilal Muhammad's head coach, but he he was the PFL middleweight champion. So he goes out there in PFL. He knocks out this scary Russian in 30 seconds, wins the million dollars at middleweight. And then he says, look, I want to drop to 170 and go out there and win that million dollars too because they actually got rid of the middleweight division. But the New York commission shut that down completely because he had he had that surgery like 10 years ago isn't that fucked man yeah man they uh uh so i used to fight in new york before mma was legal there because we were fighting like indian reservations so i knew like i knew their commission for a long time before they were even in the ufc and they just didn't do stuff like normal commissions they just didn't get like the memo and then when they finally went you know with the ufc they were kind of playing catch up with a lot of like their decisions and uh, a lot of it had to do with that kind of stuff. And if you remember the one fight, they weren't going to let a uh, Pearl, Pearl Gonzalez fight because she had fake, you know, fake breasts. <laughs> so they finally let her fight, but they were giving her like a hard time for it. Yeah. It's, it's crazy, man. They, yeah, it's something else, but I actually had a question that I had written down. And I forgot to ask you. So something that you and I have actually talked about privately before your fight with Kyle Nelson. Now, Kyle Nelson has a reputation of in that first round, that dude is hell on wheels. He hits like an absolute truck. He's got a lot of knockouts on his record, man. And he actually went out there and he disrespected you. He said, Billy Q is not a fighter. Billy Q is a survivor. And when I heard that, I'm just thinking to myself, like, why why underestimate a guy like Billy? Like, why even say some shit like that? So when you heard that, I mean, 
was it more of you got pissed off or were you licking your chops because you knew the guy was underestimating you? Oh, yeah. No, I, I got really excited about that fight because um, I felt like he didn't he wasn't like being like mean to me, like he wasn't being like a dick. But he did like five or probably like even more, probably like five to ten interviews right before the fight. And he just says like right before he's like uh, like or like every interview he would say he's like oh yeah I'm just gonna go out there I'm gonna knock Billy out like I'm definitely just gonna knock him out cold like I'm gonna knock him out and he just kept saying how he was gonna knock me out and he was like commenting on it I was like all right dude like we'll see like <laughs> you know and, and I ended up knocking him out so um, it, it was just kind of funny that he would say that everywhere he went and like that I'm that I'm not a killer I'm a survivor and I just iced him with a punch so. It's all good, man. It's Kyle. Kyle's, you know, he means well, but I, I just think the guys who aren't good at talking trash, if they, if they really try to, like, they're if they're almost forced to, it never comes out as like genuine. So I wasn't like worried about it, uh, but I just thought it was funny that he kept saying that. And then what happened? Did Did you ever get like some kind of apology, or it was just talk, or anything like that? No, 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 no. I didn't. But his uh, one of his um. One of his cornermen messaged me afterwards. I actually thought this was really cool. And he just said, hey, 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 Billy, I'm uh, Kyle's coach. Uh, it was great to compete against you. It was like the most Canadian thing ever. It was so nice. And I was like, oh, man, like, you guys are cool. Like, you know, that, thanks for, you know, the competition or whatever. Because at the end of the day, it's all good. That's nice. That 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 that's cool, man. So, a couple more fan questions, and we'll get you out of here, man. And I truly appreciate you being so gracious uh, with your time, man. So, CS says Colby versus Masvidal. That's his favorite upcoming fight. What do you think, man? Who are you picking? Who are you leaning? Man, ooh, that's it's gonna be such a tough one because they they got so much experience with each other. Um, on paper, I would you have to say Colby Covington just because his wrestling background. I I could imagine him going out there and taking down Masvidal and. And making it pretty miserable. But then again, you know, Maswell's got pretty decent takedown defense. He's fought, you know, he's fought Usman twice now, and I'm sure he's had long training camps against him. I'm gonna go with Colby, even though maybe fight that might change it. And I'm still kind of rooting for Masvidal. I think he's I like his personality more. Um, I just think he's like cooler, Masvidal. So, but I think I oh man, yeah, I think Colby's gonna probably take him down and beat him up a little bit, but you never know. It's gonna be a good fight. So Andy wants to know, Billy, in a street fight, no weapons, how many average Joes could you take out at once? How many average Joes? Well, it depends, like, average Joe. Like, Ben <laughs> Davis, I could probably beat up 10 Ben Davises. Like, 10 grown Ben Davises against one Billy Q. No weapons. Just I'm just beating them up. I'm definitely just piecing them up. Like a normal man, like a normal size uh, person, you know, maybe like seven or eight. <laughs> no, I don't know. I, I, I do. I was thinking about that watching the kids class. I'm like, man, I wonder, like, I wonder if I can just beat up all these kids or like, if they could, <laughs> if they, could if they could figure out a way to, you know, attack me the right way and, and get me. So like, I don't know. Uh, I, I hope I don't, I don't, I don't like to get in any street fights anymore. Um, but you know, if the situation calls for it, hey, if any media outlets heard that, don't take what he just said out of context, please. Now, no, Andy don't, don't chop it up. Uh, he wants to beat up Billy Q wants to beat up kids guys like, I was just wondering if I could <laughs> so Andy also wants to know what's a dream fight matchup that you would love to see like for yourself now between either someone of the past someone of the present I mean a legend someone in the top 15 like what's your dream fight bro? Who I'd want to fight right now like a dream matchup yeah um man right now I'm really just at a point where uh, I, I would probably want to just fight like the most like famous people and that would get the most recognition for just for, you know, the, the financial gains. I'm, I'm really just a prize fighter that, you know, wants to make as much money as I can. So I would say like, like a Floyd Mayweather, I would always want to like, if I could get an MMA fight against Floyd Mayweather, that would be the dream. Just be like, I'm just going to literally MMA fight you. And I would just beat the shit, just take him down and beat him up. Uh, so Floyd Mayweather would be up there. Uh, um, any any really big names, big names in the UFC like uh, uh, Sugar Sean O'Malley would be a good one. Uh, Patty Pimblett would be fun. You know those guys are. I think that's how you say his name, but they're guys who are like around my weight class that are, are probably the biggest names outside of like the championship guys. Um, of course, like you know Jake Paul or Logan Paul, it'd be fun to 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 grapple with them and, and beat them up in an MMA fight. Um, but yeah, just right now, I don't really hate anyone, but just big names and I just want big fights, exciting fights. I just want to put on a show and I want everyone to 
remember like oh man that was a billy q fire like you, you got to tune in for this kid like that that's those are the type of things that i want so any big fights those are like my dream fights right now that's what the fans like to hear chris Lau wants to know what's the best and worst thing about tough oh man there's so many bad things about it <laughs> <laughs> uh okay so the best thing about it was uh all the people i met you know like uh and, and the training like the training was Top notch. I was training with Uriah Faber every single day or, you know, all the coaches at, at, at Alpha Male. Uh, I met Julian Arosa. I met all the guys on the team, you know, Ryan Hall, Tom Lee, Jenkins. Um, everyone else on the team was super, super cool. So just like the friendships I made there and the experience of, you know, back then, even, even up until a couple of years ago, I would have to work different jobs and have to deal with your family and your girlfriend or, your, you know, whatever. And it was a it was a surreal experience that I'm taking your phone away, and that's the only thing you can focus on is training. You have nothing else to do. Like you go and train, you come back, and you live with a bunch of fighters. So doing that for six weeks, it like turned my brain into this. You know, like I could do that same thing now, where I can only focus on fighting for for weeks now, even though I'm not outside of the house. Uh, the worst thing, there's a bunch of worst things. So uh, where man, where do I begin? So the worst thing is. Not having a cell phone, not talking to anyone in the outside world, not knowing what everyone's doing, what, you know, I had my girlfriend at the time, who's my wife now. I didn't know what she was doing. I didn't know what my parents were doing, my family. I didn't know what anyone was doing. You just kind of get like lost in like this weird, like you're just stuck there. So you don't really know what's going on. Um, what else was bad about it? One thing I, I didn't like about it, but I knew what I signed up for was I didn't know anything about my opponent until you basically you're like, all right, you're fighting him in two days. And you're like, Oh shit. And they're like, Oh, he's one of the best wrestlers in England. And I'm like, great. Like, Oh, great. And they're like, well, what do you think you should do? I'm like, you know, keep it standing with him. And, and that didn't work out. So uh, not being able to like, see like footage. I take a lot of uh, pride in, if you give me a long time, if you give me enough time to beat someone, I'm going to figure out a way to do it. Um, and that's like the opposite of it. That's just like, you're fighting this guy. Good luck. Um, which it worked out good in the first fight and not the second fight. So it's all good. Billy, the last fan question we got for you, man. And I, I think the answer might be MSG, but Nick wants to know best crowd and event you've ever fought in. Yeah. Oh man. Yeah. It's, it's definitely, yeah, it's, I would hate to say it. So my two UFC fights that were fans were in DC. That was my UFC debut. That'll always be special for me. Obviously. Um, I have, I have family that lives there. My two, my, two brothers and my sister and their families all live there. So we had, we had like a couple hundred people that were either from Tampa or from Virginia or from, you know, Buffalo, all who came there, which was amazing. So DC was really special, but best fan, just the best venue, I would say was what was the MSG crowd, just being a part of that, being in that venue. Um, you know, it was later in the card. So it was all sold out both, both times. It was pretty packed in DC and MSG. Uh, but those two will definitely, um, even though back in the day I used to sell out Seneca Niagara casino, I did that three times and those will always be special to me too, because it was like my hometown. I was the main event. I knew everyone in the crowd. So, uh, there's a lot of really good ones, but I, I would say MSG just, I remember walking out there and I see Halle Berry and I'm just like, Oh my God, like what the hell? Like, you know, seeing Bruce Buffer and Dana White and, and, and everyone, you're just like, man, this is a, it's a surreal situation. And, and I just want more of that. And, and bigger and better things for these next couple of years coming. Well, you're living it, man. And we wish you all the best of luck in the world, man. Love watching you fight. Billy, thank you so much for taking the time to speak with me right here, right now on Half the Battle. The fans can follow you at BillyQMMA. Billy, any message for the fans before we get out of here? Uh, no, man. Just thank you guys for tuning in. I appreciate you guys. Anyone who supports me, anything you like, share. Uh, you know, it's kind of a popularity contest now, but... Uh, Thank you, and uh, just check out my next fight. It's not announced yet, but hopefully this week uh, get my manager on it, and uh, we'll get some fight news soon and, and get the ball rolling this year. Awesome. Well, we look forward to that. Billy, thanks again for the time, buddy, and uh, we'll speak soon, man. All right. Later. Take care. All right. Take care, buddy. Yeah. See ya. So, ladies and gentlemen, that's Billy Q. And, I mean, what a fucking awesome guy, right? I mean, he gave us literally an hour of his time. He's such a personable guy, and it's cool to see – 
one of the most exciting fighters on the UFC roster. I mean, when he gets out there, I mean, Billy Q gets violent. You guys remember where you were when you watched these Billy Q fights. So we're truly grateful for him, and we can't wait for his next fight. So all the fans, make sure you follow me at Best Fight Picks. Subscribe to Half the Battle on iTunes, SoundCloud, YouTube, Stitcher, Spotify, all the places where we are available. Smash that like button. I'll be back Thursday morning at 10.30 a.m. with Shaq to break down the upcoming UFC 271 card start to finish. And also, guys, if you're looking for a place to play some bets for the Super Bowl for UFC 271, make sure you hit up my sponsor, BetUS. The link is in the description. And if you use the code BATTLE125, you're going to get an 125% bonus. So you throw out 100 uh, bucks, they're going to throw you 125 to work with, et cetera, et cetera. That's BetUS. Use my code BATTLE125. And if you're looking for some daily fantasy sports, you guys got to check out Prize Picks, guys. Use my code BATTLE for an 100% deposit match up to $100. Prize Picks, I mean, dude, when I tell you that not only can you combine sports on Prize Picks, but you guys got to take advantage of some of these spots. Last week, the Phil Rowe over under on significant strikes was 47. You mean to tell me that Jason Witt can eat 47 strikes from anyone, let alone Jay, uh, let alone Phil Rowe? I think not. So go to Prize Picks, use that code Battle for an 100% deposit match. Links are in the description. Thank you guys again. Follow me at, me at Best Fight Picks. Follow Billy Q at Billy Q MMA. We're grateful again. We will, we will see you all Thursday morning, uh, Saturday or Thursday morning at 10:30 a.m. Eastern time. And until the next time, let's cash these bets.